So we're really able to sort of sort out a picture um, of what's going on in the world. And that's helping us, you know, work uh, in several cases with um, city governments and national governments to help them sort of identify the skills gaps, for instance, in their city or in their country to figure out where they need to invest uh, in their education policy to, to create opportunity for uh, their people. Or in the case of our editorial team, it's helping us tell really powerful stories about what's going on in the world. And I think that's something that we can pretty uniquely do at LinkedIn. You know, as a newsroom, we're not trying to do everything, you know, that a newsroom, a much larger newsroom like The Guardian or The New York Times would be able to do. But we're trying to see where we can add value with with what we can uniquely do. Hello, and welcome to Freelance Pod. My name's Chandrika Chakrabarti and I'll be your host. Freelance Pod is all about how the internet has revolutionised work. Each week, I'll speak to someone working in a creative field and ask them how their industry has moved from an analogue to a digital age or how the internet has invented their job. If you like what we're talking about in the podcast, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at FreelancePod, on Twitter as at Freelance underscore pod underscore, there's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod, and you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. So here's a bit about this episode's guest. Isabel Hogal is Senior Editor-at-Large at LinkedIn. She joined the company in 2012 and built a global news team working in seven languages across Europe, Latin America, Asia and Australia. She comments on the future of work in two columns on LinkedIn. The first is called The Lost Globalist and it's about living an open life in a world that's shutting down. And then there's Media in 60 Seconds, which is a weekly video series about the media industry. And the latest episode was from Dublin, from the LinkedIn offices there, where uh, Isabel got to meet some of her colleagues. Isabel got her start in journalism in newspapers. She received a Bachelor's of Journalism from the University of Missouri, Columbia, and worked as a reporter and editor at the Columbia Missourian, and then also at the Cambodia Daily, and afterwards at Le Figaro in Paris. So she's lived in the US, France, Sydney, Cambodia, but she calls London home for now. Isabel and I got chatting on LinkedIn after I shared a piece I'd written for LinkedIn Pulse, um, which is about voice technology, podcasting, and some predictions I made for 2019. I'll put a link to that piece in the show notes. Isabel kindly invited me into LinkedIn's new offices, which are on Farringdon Road. They're actually in The Guardian's old office. Back in 2006 to seven. I was working evening shifts at The Guardian and The Observer, uploading the newspaper to the website every evening, finishing at about 1am. I was doing that while studying on a part-time newspaper journalism NCTJ course around the corner. And it was, you know, it was a different world then. The Guardian wasn't digital first. All of the internet was on the top floor where we worked. And actually it was the first place I'd ever sat in a podcast studio before I did the shifts when I was on work experience there. 
The Guardian has since moved to King's Place and has got really shiny offices now. Um, so thanks, Isabel, for having me over. And let's see what she has to say. So I'm Isabel Hogal. I'm a senior editor at large at LinkedIn. Um, I am a French citizen in London. Um, I've been here for two and a half years. I got my contract to move to London on the day of the Brexit referendum. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, so I don't sound very French because I learned my English in America. I was an exchange student in high school um, and that kind of started my love affair with the English language. Um, So as a journalist, I really mostly work in English um, far more than in French. I went to university uh, in Missouri at the University of Missouri, Columbia, which has the oldest journalism school in the United States, at least, and uh, learned there uh, to be originally a newspaper reporter uh, with ambitions to be a foreign correspondent, Uh, graduated in 2008, uh, which was the worst possible time to graduate in journalism <laughs> because you had the double whammy of kind of started the acceleration that was happening in American newsrooms, at least, where you had 10 years of just total nosedive. And, you know, the subprime crisis, which started just a bit before I graduated and which went into then the global financial crisis, which uh, was a couple months after I graduated. So that was just a rather terrible time to be starting a career. But somehow I figured it out. I um, I worked in Cambodia for a little while as a foreign reporter. And then I moved home to France, worked at Le Figaro, which is a big national daily in Paris, and then uh, landed at LinkedIn in 2012 in Paris, in the Paris office. And I've worked in the Paris office, then moved to the Sydney, Australia office and finally, uh, London for the past two and a half years. And how have you found that transition from working in newsrooms to working in kind of the newsroom of a of a platform, I suppose? <laughs> it, it's kind of hard to remember because I've been here seven years and it just feels absolutely normal now. But trying to put myself back in the shoes of, you know, being a 27-year-old newspaper reporter when I, when I got here, very, very different in terms of culture. I always say the wonderful thing about moving from newspapers to tech is that the tone, the the, the mood, the ambiance kind of shifts, right? From newspapers circa 2011, you know, where it was very much a doom and gloom, you know, our jobs are disappearing, newsrooms are getting slashed and all of that. And that was, you know, what people were discussing. And then you arrive in Silicon Valley in 2012, it's maybe a bit different now, but it you know, very boisterous, very, the future is a good thing, you know, that uh, people are excited for the opportunities, for what they get to build, um, the jobs they get to do, and the mission that they're serving. So it's a very, very different vibe, very different culture, you know, from the, um, the cynical news reporter, or skeptical at least, to the very optimistic uh, tech worker. So culturally, that was a really interesting shift. I really agree with you with that because I, I started in like 2006. As I mentioned I sort of started uploading the paper from the the Guardian onto the website, which is called Guardian Limited back then, and I was made redundant from a job at Associated Press. So I think it's not surprising. Maybe an American company made me redundant first. So that was in 2010, and then from 2010 to now, I've been made redundant three times in 
well, eight years because it was last year. And it's kind of worked out okay for me, but I, I do wonder what it does to younger reporters than me who almost face a worse situation, don't even get those staff room jobs. And like psychologically, I think it's not helpful to come into an industry where you're being told all these negative things. And then, as you've mentioned, the tech industry, it feels like kind of the sky's the limit. And and that's so incredible to take editorial skills then into that environment. Yeah. And I had the same experience, you know, where um, at Le Figaro, I was actually on a succession of short-term contracts, which under French law, you can only renew so many times. And then you need to either make the person permanent staff or or let them go. Um, and it, there was no question, as much as I think my manager appreciated me, there was no question of making me permanent because they had just cut newsroom positions. Um, they cut the newsroom again after I left. And uh, it's, you know, half the people I knew there have, have gone. So, um, so you know, I had experience too at, at 27 years old, barely, not even three years into my career, that I was seeing the doors closing just as they were barely opening um and it was a tough time it was you know it was a few months of freelancing and trying to figure out um what i wanted to do but i didn't know enough yet either about journalism or about building a career or about myself to really make a serious go of it as a as a freelancer and and know what i was doing i think i would come at it with a very different perspective now with the benefit of, of time and of the experience that I've had. What do you think you might have told your younger self with what you know now? Uh, to be far more entrepreneurial. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's something I really learned in tech is, you know, uh, coming at things with in a, in a very entrepreneurial mindset, you know, of, of trying and testing and getting the data and then learning from that and uh, trying things and moving on quickly if they don't work out um you know also learning things like you know really as a freelancer i think you're essentially running a business right you're running a business of one Mm. um which and maybe is obvious uh, to a lot of your audience uh who are freelancers but i think if you come at it um and especially if you don't come at it by choice, if you come at it by mm. by uh, circumstances, um, you don't necessarily think about those things. You know, how do I how do I sell my myself and my business of one? Do you know what's my what's my brand? What do I write? You know, rather than going after every idea that, that pops into your mind and every customer who's you know kind enough to want to buy a couple pages off you, uh, you know, what's your strategy? Um, is something that I think hardly occurred to me when I was when I was uh, twenty seven that I think uh, I would look at very differently today. I think I think also yeah, back then we were just in the infancy of that kind of who, who do you appear to be online? Because link, LinkedIn would have been it was launched. Is that it's one of the it's one of the earliest social media. Uh, platforms that still exist today uh it was launched in 2003 so we just celebrated our 15th anniversary so i I remember i created my account when i was in university so it would be around um 2007 i created my account because you know i was starting to think about my my job search post post graduation but it was you know as you said it was a much smaller platform and it wasn't necessarily something that people were used to uh, the thinking of how they present themselves online and how they 
sort of having a personal brand as much as I don't like that word. So, so yeah, could you tell me about how that LinkedIn kind of newsroom or editorial team built up over the years? We used kind of person number one in editorial. I, I wasn't number one. I was number, I don't know, three or four, but uh, pretty early on. Um, so back in, back in 2011, um, the first hire was my boss, our editor-in-chief, Dan Ross, um, who came over from Fortune um, and really was hired to, to start building that editorial initiative um, at LinkedIn um, made us made his first couple hires, and, and then I was I was third one, I think, uh, a few months later. Uh, it's really started a sense that careers were changing, um, that you weren't, you didn't, you needed to invest really in your career on an ongoing basis, uh, that it wasn't just about, you know, searching for a new job every, every three or five years. But as we were just talking about, you know, you're really building a reputation as a professional and because our world is getting bigger and bigger, your reputation is, it's not just word of mouth anymore. Uh, it, it does need to have a digital presence and that, you know, the profile is one thing, but really the content that you're going to be sharing creating interacting with says a lot about who you are the things that you're interested in the skills that you have the the way you're thinking about your profession about your industry and it also helps you stay on top of what's going on right like you need to be aware of new trends and developments things that are happening in the world at large and in your industry or in your company in particular they're going to help you be a better informed professional and therefore be be better at what you do and kind of stay on top of your game where we know that um, technologies are changing increasingly quickly you can't just you know learn a job when you're 22 and and be done right it's just things don't work that way anymore so it made a lot of sense for a professional networking site to include you know content as well. Um, so that was really the impetus and it started with simply sort of curating, um, news from third-party publishers and then we just kind of added on more and more layers over time uh, so that we started offering uh, a select number of people a publishing platform that was LinkedIn Influencer. We then opened up that publishing platform to all members of LinkedIn so that anyone can can publish on the platform and then we moved to more uh, short form content and video, uh, but always with that same idea that uh, we could empower people to share their expertise and to learn from each other, to give help and to get help from their professional community and to make connections that would be valuable to their professional lives through um, the sharing of knowledge and of information. So that was kind of always the the idea um, we're really focused on on conversations on getting people talking to each other and on getting that information sort of firsthand from the professionals who are on the ground working in that particular field and as far as the growth of the team the part that i had the most to do with uh, was our international expansion so when we started out i actually started originally on a little french pilot that's why i was based in paris 
um, in 2012. We eventually moved on from that and I worked more and more on the English product. Always had in mind that, you know, our mission is to serve every member of the global workforce. Um, so it should not just be restricted to English or to US content. We really should broaden this out and go to more and more people. So I was able from 2015, I believe, yeah, 2015, to start really growing the team to other countries and to other languages. To um, India was our first destination, and we grew to France and Germany and Brazil, uh, the UK, uh, Australia, China, and Japan. I think that's, that's all of them. And Canada and Mexico. There you go. That's all of them. And so uh, kind of grew the team, um, you know, from from a couple people to today, more than 50 journalists who are uh, more than half of them uh, outside the U.S. At, uh, at LinkedIn, uh, because it has a very strong corporate culture. Well, first I heard the word culture for the first time. Uh, and then it, uh, as a company is very thoughtful about management um, and about how we work. Obviously, you know, by virtue of what we do, we're kind of at the forefront of that uh, reflection uh, around how work is organized today. But there is a lot of individual freedom and initiative to, you know, do your work the best way you see fit. Uh, you know, we, we kind of, we have a sense of the goal, uh, right, and, and where we're trying to get to. But how you get there, that's really, that's really up to you. It's very much about about a community. Um, we talk about active communities, which is you know people who are talking to each other, learning from each other, uh, giving help to others in their professional community, getting help from them. You know whether that's you know helping them prepare for an interview or understanding what's going on in an industry or or for this this project they want to launch. Um, it, it's really it's really um, great to see. Um, and I know for the past seven years, obviously, it's been a rather huge part of my life. And I'm on LinkedIn hours and hours every day. And I, I have, uh, you know, quite a big community around me. And it's, uh, it's a very supportive uh, and positive um, community, um, which I find very, very precious. Can you tell me a bit about the, the economic graph that LinkedIn has and what you've learned from that and like, any stories you've got from that mm -hmm. sure so the economic graph is really kind of the the mapping of the world the working world and the world economy that we're able to do thanks to linkedin um, data right so you have six nods on the graph which i'm going to try to remember all six but I always forget one <laughs> um professionals uh, companies uh, schools jobs skills and there you go. I'm missing the sixth one. Uh, <laughs> and and learnings and, and content. And essentially, you know, um, able to understand what's going on in the global economy as, as much as it's represented on LinkedIn, thanks to what we're seeing in the data. And we have a whole team of data scientists and of economists who are kind of parsing this to understand what's, what's happening. So we publish um, a monthly... Uh, workforce report. So there's in the US, there's one in the UK as well, uh, and there's one in India where we're able to show, you know, um, how hiring is growing. Uh, we're able to show um, talent uh, shortages or or growth. 
uh, we're able to show migration. So for instance, you know, in the UK after Brexit, we're able to see more professionals leaving the country or is the country still able to attract global professionals? What industries are growing? Um, recently, we had some research around sort of what industries are British graduates going into. So we're really able to sort of sort out a picture um, of what's going on in the world. And that's helping us, you know, work uh, in several cases with um, city governments and national governments to help them sort of identify the skills gaps, for instance, in their city or in their country to figure out where they need to invest uh, in their education policy to to create opportunity for uh, their people. Or in the case of our editorial team, it's helping us tell really powerful stories about what's going on in the world. And I think that's something that we can pretty uniquely do at LinkedIn. You know, as a newsroom, we're not trying to do everything, you know, that a newsroom, a much larger newsroom like The Guardian or The New York Times would be able to do. But we're trying to see where we can add value with with what we can uniquely do. So I feel like this this is kind of really taking audience first journalism to a kind of higher plane because you've always had people joining the site and adding their data. And then it was really a case of bringing the editorial team on and looking at this data and thinking, what stories can we tell? Right. It's, and it is absolutely um, everything we do is, is audience first. The first value of LinkedIn as a company is members first. Um, So always thinking about how does it serve our members? How does it help them understand the world, be more successful professionals, feel, you know, equipped to handle uh, a working world that is that is changing very quickly and abruptly for some, um, I think for all of us really. <laughs> and so, um, our we measure our success as a team by the conversations that we create on the platform. It is very much community driven journalism. Uh, we are you know present and visible on the platform, and you know uh, we're able to post as we're creating stories. You know we're able to get people's input like when i was writing that persuasion story i mentioned earlier you know i i posted about it and asked members you know who's you know who's someone that you think is very persuasive and why is it you know what what um you know so we're able to kind of like source some of the information also ask people what they want us to um to uncover or to to write about you know i i posted this week I'm, i'm thinking about um, sort of how we could do more um, climate and environment coverage. And so I just asked members, hey, what are you interested in knowing? What would be helpful to you as professionals? Um, and we really measure our success by by those conversations um, that we're either able to to start ourselves, but also just curate and cultivate. Um, you know, it doesn't, uh, the editors are part of the community. They don't stand sort of separate from it or above it. Um, it's uh, we're just there to kind of stir the pot and get th- get things started and try to surface the most helpful things for the rest of the community. I sort of got into journalism for the writing and the interviewing, which I love, and I've always looked at kind of any path, any sort of professional path. I thought, well, I don't really love editing that much, and I don't sort of know where I go, and so freelancing kind of works for me, Um, but it seems like you've kind of got this really great situation where you can stay part of a company, but move back into creating the content. Um, What has that been like? Are you enjoying it? How does it work? 
Yeah, um, I think for me it's slightly different for me because I love all of it, and the hard the hard part is choosing. Um, but I spent um, years uh, kind of growing projects. You know, you know, I was an editor. I was I was really a manager. Um, you know, I I went from a team of five people to a team of twenty five people in a span of about a year, less than a year. So I had to hire all of them, train them you know, get them onboarded. Uh, and so that, you know, that work taught me a lot. Um, and I, I adored my team, but I saw myself doing less and less creating. Um, and after a while, I really had a hunger to get back to it. I also realized that I had been leading our international development for, you know, five years, something like that. And that I kind of given it all that I could and that it probably would be helpful to bring uh, some fresh vision to it uh, to make sure that I got out of the way and let other brilliant people on my team step up and, and seize the opportunities. So that was a lot of good reasons to, to try to, to move on to, to other things while I didn't want to leave LinkedIn because it's a great company and, um, and I felt like I still had something to contribute. So uh, <clears throat> luckily, we're, we we um, have a great boss. Uh, I'm not saying that because he's going to listen to this, but it's true. Uh, who, you know, is open to uh, my coming up with crazy ideas. I'm like, how about we do this now? Um, you know, as long as you can justify it for the business. Uh, he says, why not? So, so that's what we did. And I went into an editor or senior editor at large role where <clears throat> essentially I am writing and creating uh, and sort of sparking conversations on the platform and leading a few, you know, uh, projects here and there, wherever I can. But, uh, but now it's been, it's been two, three months and um, I'm kind of getting into the groove of things. Um, ideas are coming back. I have way fewer meetings than I used to. I think that's, the big thing with creativity is it requires large amounts of time with nothing on, which could never happen when I was uh, running a team. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having ideas again. I'm really loving writing. I'm an introvert, so interviewing part was hard to get back into. Uh, but now I'm finding that I, I really love talking to people and, and learning what they're working on and what they're doing. I mean, it's the incredible privilege of our profession where right, we get to ask really anyone anything in the world of work. I mean, there's just get to ask people what they do, what they're working on uh, in fields that you know nothing about. It's fascinating. I interviewed um, a few days ago the two lead scientists working on IBM Project Debater, um, which is they're building AI that can have a debate with a human that can make arguments uh and understanding kind of how that how that works and how they parse that in a machine that was fascinating it's conversations like that is uh i could pay to do this it's great <laughs> yeah like i chose the lens of work for the podcast partly because as a freelancer i was like how does everyone else do this but it's genuinely really interesting because people do much more than they ever used to, I think, bring the personal to work. And like you see on LinkedIn, you, you read the tone in which someone 
writes their summary and writes about their positions and and if they're writing content that too and you know the personal and the the professional I think have become much more tightly bound together and particularly in the jobs we do as well it's part of that we, we need a new word for brand but it's really important mm. to bring that personality and, and also voice stuff because you can read so much about person from their voice yes we talk about at LinkedIn we talk about bringing your whole self to work um, which is more and more, yeah, people come to the office as individuals, not just as task performers, you know, they're, they're um, full human beings, you know, which was always the case, but you tended to, you know, put on a suit and leave your personality or your personal issues or hopes and dreams kind of at the door and pick them up again at 5 p.m. Uh, and I think that's just not how the world of work works anymore. Um and uh, the things that interest you uh, and that move you in your personal life also enrich your professional work, life and, and, and your work. It, goes, it all goes together. I think obviously it's a bit easier for us in, in creative professions because if I don't use my personal experiences in my writing, I have nothing. <laughs> you know, I, I put a lot of myself in my writing. I really like what you had to say about... Um creativity needs periods of like not being scheduled fully can you expand on that bit because you're completely right it's I'm, I'm finding that as a freelancer and it's it's lovely to be feeling creative other stuff gets in the way yeah and I think it's the challenge that that we all have today um in a hyper-connected world is to allow ourselves moments of boredom even or moments of of nothingness um, our CEO um, has a, I remember a, a while back wrote about his technique, which is literally blocking out thinking time in his calendar, you know, a couple hours every now and then where no one can put a meeting. And this is a CEO, right? So he's got something every 10 minutes on his calendar for months to come. But every once in a while, there's a two hour break to give him time to, you know, think the big picture, which is, you know, what the job of CEO is. Um, and, and my own humble, much more humble uh, level, um, it's about, you know, I, I try to continue writing and creating uh, while I was a manager, uh, but I found that it didn't quite work because, you know, if I got an hour with nothing and my brain was like, the wheels were starting to turn and then bam, you're interrupted and you have a meeting and you, and, and getting back into it is, uh, it's just really not efficient. Um, so now I'm able to block entire days where today, you know, I'm thinking I'm writing. And when I say today I'm writing is in most cases, I will spend hours staring at my screen and nothing is coming out, uh, until, you know, the idea finally strikes. I'm a, I'm a late evening writer. I'm quite useless during the day, but like from 5, 5 p.m., things really, really happen. Last night I was writing at 10 p.m. because the idea had finally come after I had been thinking about it all day. Um, and that's just what creativity is, right? You don't, it doesn't work on a schedule. We have a saying for that in French. Ce qui se pense bien s'énonce clairement. What is well thought out is well said. Um, if you can't find the words to express something, the thinking part isn't done. The words will come when the thinking is, is finished. Um, I love that saying. 
Should we just have a quick, because it will sound different on the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we just give a bit of background as to yes. why we're in the office? <laughs> <laughs> so we got interrupted in the first half of this conversation. Someone waving their arms frantically at me outside of the recording booth I was in talking to you over Skype. Um, turns out there was a fire alarm test in the building that we, we just moved here uh, in Farringdon last week. And so, unfortunately, I was asked to end our conversation abruptly and leave the building, which was not on fire. It was absolutely a drill. Um, so, But it's great because it gave us the opportunity to meet in person for you to come in and, and check out our, our new digs. Yeah, and, they're uh, really nice. Meet in person, yeah. It's the old Guardian building, and I used to do shifts here back in 2006 to seven, which makes me sound really old. Um, <laughs> and I, I think you've done a beautiful job with it, like, well, you personally, obviously, because you redid it. Um, <laughs> no. It's really light and it's got great views and yeah. yeah. Our place team, team did a fantastic job. It's a very imp- inspiring place to work. Um, yeah. The room we were just in over there, I mean, there's views of like, the gherkin yeah, and you can view the, there's there's outdoor space there's natural light you can view the gherkin and the and the shard and yeah it's pretty cool i'm not envious at all my office is next door to my bedroom <laughs> so, yeah. that's the best commute though. <laughs> um, so the bits that we kind of missed off i suppose uh tips of freelancers and and how they can make the most of their profile on linkedin and then also um the reason we kind of got chatting was I incessantly post content to LinkedIn. Um, yeah, I guess it's always an experiment and see what's working and what isn't. And I guess, I feel like you're interested in podcasts yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like there's a, a big movement in terms of like voice tech and podcasts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, um, so I guess I just write stuff that I've learned about podcasting. I put the podcast up and, and it got us talking. So I wonder if it's helpful for other freelancers to know that they should be posting content and what might work. Absolutely. So, so there's a lot to unpack there. First, uh, obviously, the, the building block of your LinkedIn presence is your profile, right? So you want a profile that you know tells the world who you are professionally, um, you know, with um, an impactful um, headline, especially, uh, and you know, kind of a list of your um, your different positions over time and your achievements. And obviously, as a freelancer, you want to make sure that you include. Uh, you know the various publications that you've written and published for uh, the the you know links to some of your best content that could, or that could be your you know your video reel if you're a broadcast person or your uh, your audio reel for for an audio person um, so that's kind of like step one um, and I'm say making sure that your profile really showcases who you are uh, you know don't be afraid to have a little personality in it I think you know we're not just people in suits anymore as professionals we're kind of bringing our whole selves to work how is how we like to put it here so um just making sure that that it's real and i think especially for freelancers trying to figure out like what differentiates you you know what's your niche like you're the voice person right like that's your that's your area that and for someone you know they might be you know a climate change reporter or they might be you know uh doing other things so i'm making sure that you're you're highlighting that uh, but that's obviously, you know, the first building block. Then it's about your presence on the platform over time um, and that what you're doing through through content, obviously. So, you know, the obvious things are sharing the work that you're publishing elsewhere, you know, making sure that you're sharing those links, that you're giving your network an opportunity to see your work. Um, and we were talking about this a bit offline um, earlier, you know, 
there's a, some people think that's bragging, you know. And I think no, that's just that's just showcasing your work. I mean, we're all publishing out there. We're already bragging. We're putting our names out on stories, you know. But it's really I I think about this as helping the community uh, by showcasing what you've done, what you've learned, and how it can be helpful to others. Um, and I think that's a much better mindset to have because then you're really you know participating in a community as opposed to just broadcasting out what you know what you who, what you do um, and so making sure that you're sharing those articles we're seeing journalists use the platform very effectively to kind of continue the conversations on the things that are publishing besides so it's it's getting um, feedback from people in the field that they're covering. Uh, in a lot of cases, it leads to follow-up stories because people are, you know, uh, raising something that maybe you didn't know about, or or asking a question that is worth a follow-up story, or or you know, that's how you get new sources um, or or new ideas. So that's really valuable. Um, I think it's also really important to think about this as a conversation and not, again, not broadcasting. Right? It's not just one to many. It's many to many. It's kind of all the nods in the community connecting to each other. So, so you know, sharing out your content, but also participating in the conversations happening uh, through the content that others in your network are sharing. Making sure that you're following um, the people that you're interested in and the the institutions that you're interested in, the companies, the the, the media outlets, uh, and and conversing. And you know, and that's how we met, right? It's in a so, comment section. <laughs> it's in a comment section. There's so many people that that I've met through through comment sessions sections, right? And that's the beauty of the platform. I think. Do you think that people are bringing like an honest kind of like a mindset of We've got to keep learning in a digital age. It very much so. I think it's um, you know the prof- professional context helps, right? People are putting their professional identity on the line. Their their bosses are watching. Their customers are watching, uh, and so that you know kind of helps keep uh, things healthy. And then it's I think it's a very positive platform where people are really genuine and interested in um, giving help and getting help. Um, I use it. I, I love how. It's kind of breaking down barriers, um, you know, as opposed to the old-fashioned way of kind of journalist sort of sending the word from on up, like, here's the story, this is what you need to know. Um, I use it a lot before I start reporting a story, or I might do a little bit of research and be like, hey, I'm thinking of writing about this. Like, what are angles that interest you? How should I approach this? Tell me something I don't know that I should look into, or a question that I can help that can research on your behalf and help answer. Um, so, and that's very much how the LinkedIn editors operate. We're just among the community and just trying to serve as as conduits and as as uh, aids to the conversation, um, as opposed to you know kind of sitting above it. Um, uh, that I think, you know, helps build trust. Helps with transparency. We know that's a huge issue in in media at the moment. Um, I think, I think it's something that, that every journalist, you know, freelancers or within institutions, we're seeing a lot of journalists, you know, at those major media institutions, use the platform in the same way, and kind of giving people a behind-the-seat look into how they put their stories together. Um, that I think is really valuable. So we're looking at maybe LinkedIn for news gathering. Maybe that's um, a, an avenue towards finding stories. 
Have you have you found that for yourself when when you've been writing content for LinkedIn? Yeah, you sort of crowdsource a bit. Absolutely. So um, you know, just in the past couple of weeks, couple example, um, I published a story about persuasion. Um, which our data showed uh, is one of the most needed skills in the workplace and then one of the biggest sort of skills gap among soft skills. Um, and I thought that was intriguing. And I kind of asked people on the platform, hey, like, who's someone that you know who's very persuasive and, um, you know, kind of trying to open the conversation. And I found actually in a lot of the comments, people are like, well, why, why are you, you know, uh, encouraging this this skill? Like, this is manipulation. This is evil. Like... It is is unethical way of doing business. I was like, oh wait, that's interesting. This skill that all the employers say they need, all these people think it has a terrible reputation and it shouldn't be. And like that ended up being my story. And I like it's you know kind of looked into that. But in the digital age, you kind of don't exist if you're not putting your stuff online. I I don't think we can wait for people to come and find us anymore because everyone's there. Yeah, well, and if they're even if they're trying to find it, to find you, well, if you know you're putting your content out there and they search for your name, they're not going to find anything. Yeah. Um, so, you, you know, you do have to put it out there. And it, it, it's just being part of a conversation, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and our content is, as journalists is public. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we should be too a little bit, especially, you know, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to share all of your personal life. Yeah. <laughs> That's not the point. Um, but I think breaking down those barriers and, and having the audience, the people formerly known as the audience, the community really, uh, have a chance to exchange with you is really important. And as a freelancer, I mean, every freelancer knows, like, they have to sell their work. You can do the best writing in the world, the best reporting in the world. If you don't have anyone to publish it, if you don't have anyone to pay you for it, that's not a lasting business model, is it? So you do need to be to be out there in a smart way. I really like the idea of showing people who might not be in journalism how stories are made. So I do think the process of making media is really opaque. And as, and as a media leader, especially if you aspire to be that, uh, you need to have the business acumen. You need to have the management skill. You need to have product vision and strategy for you know for your company for your product for your industry as well and then you need to have you know the good old-fashioned journalism skills of reporting and writing and being able to identify the story and and get to the heart of it um and you i think in your career kind of have to constantly go from one to the other to keep both that set of skills like really fresh um and also to not get bored um i was going to say that yeah i think that's (laughs) kind of the the senior level journalism jobs of the future you mm-hmm. kind of go from one to the other yeah yeah and you need, yeah you need and and you know we were talking about visibility earlier i think you need to have a level of byline rec- recognition as well as you know uh genuine business experience and know what you're talking about when you're talking about strategies when you're talking about business models when you're talking about building a team and hiring people and and uh, managing people in this very challenging industry so i wanted to make sure that i had both experience Writing about it was making sense of it for myself, making sense of it for my team. It was very emotional to kind of decide not to be their manager anymore. I hired every single one of those people, and they're absolutely brilliant. Um, I'm very attached, um, you know, as a manager before, as a friend now to to that team. So I just wanted to make sure uh, that they understood the reasons that they 
understood that I was also doing this because I saw opportunities for them. One thing that I think is really important is for people um, in senior roles not to stay glued in their chair for too long because you're blocking opportunities for other people to rise. Um, and I, th I felt like there was a lot of talent in that team that was ready and that didn't need me as much as they thought they did. Um, and so uh, that was kind of a bit of all of that going into, going into the writing. And also, again, we talked about this before, but uh, transparency. There's yeah, a lot of people definitely. who, um, you know, for reasons that are their own, decided to follow me on LinkedIn. And I want to make sure that, you know, when the, the, the words on my profile change, people understand where that's coming from. Yeah. You know, you own the narrative of your career. Um, if, you know, you have a profile or resume where you go from managing a global team to being alone in your corner writing, some people might think, oh, what's, what happened here? You know, did yes. she lose a job? Did You know, you want to make sure that you are explaining your choices and that someone who has a question about what's happening in your career has an answer that makes sense and that, you know, our careers are stories as well and that we need to be, we need to tell them, we need to own those stories. Thanks to Isabella Gold for guesting on the podcast and sharing all of her insight into how to use LinkedIn as a freelancer and what is happening in the world of work now that technology is disrupting everything and what the future of crowdsourcing news online could look like. Well, that's it for another episode of Freelance Pod. If you enjoyed what we talked about in this episode, please do get involved on social. You can find Freelance Pod on Instagram as at freelancepod. On Twitter is at freelance underscore pod underscore. There's a Facebook group called Freelance Pod. And you can also sign up for the newsletter. The URL is in the show notes. Don't forget that the success of this podcast relies on you, the listeners. If you do enjoy it, please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, also known as iTunes. This means that other listeners will find out that this podcast exists and they'll come and join us too. That's it for now. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.